John chapter 11. And we'll just look at one verse. We could read many verses from there. Um, I, may, I may spread you out for a minute as far as different places in the Bible, but hopefully by the time we're done this morning with the Lord's help, we'll, we'll bring it all together and you'll, and you'll get, I think, what the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to say to us uh, and, and say to you this morning and, and to us as a family of faith. Welcome, by the way. I, I've met some new faces and some new folks this morning. It's an honor uh, for you to be with us at any time during you know, any service that we have here, but especially at Easter. Amen. And so thank you so much uh, for being here. I know some of you are part of other churches and fellowships. And so uh, for you to be here with your family and, and not be at the place you normally attend again is a great honor for us and I'm sure for your family members. So thank you. Uh, for being here. Praise God. All right, John chapter 11. And if you're not familiar with this chapter, this is the chapter where Jesus uh, goes and raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And um, if you do the math on, on how long the journey from Bethany was to where Jesus was, that, you know, there's a lot of people that read a lot of things into Jesus waiting to go. But but Lazarus was, in essence, already passed before the first group that, that came for Jesus made it back home. It was only four days um, later, you know, when Jesus went. When I say four days, Lazarus had been dead for four days by the time Jesus arrived. And again, there was a strategy behind that. Um, the uh, different uh, factions of Judaism had different beliefs, and the Sadducee uh, sect, they did not believe in resurrection. Pharisees did believe in resurrection, but they only believed in resurrection from the dead within a three-day window. In other words, if someone had been dead for longer than three days, uh, basically no one uh, in Judaism, Jewish faith, believed that they could be resurrected. And so Jesus strategically waited until the fourth day to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And if you remember, he said, with God, all things are possible when he raised him. Now, we also see this was perhaps one of the greatest miracles uh, in Jesus's earthly ministry. Um, he had raised other people from the dead. But in this case, um, not only had Lazarus been dead for four days, um, his body had already began to decompose and, um, and, and there was an, an odor uh, from that. And, um, and so again, uh, Jesus called Lazarus back from the dead. Now, when Jesus shows up, uh, Lazarus's uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, um, they, of course, begin to, you know, say things to Jesus like, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, today you're going to see the glory of God. Do you believe this? And and, and they're like, look, you know, we believe in the resurrection, but that's at some point in the distant future. And so this brings us to the passage in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So Jesus announced on this day, on this occasion, and of course he hasn't yet raised Lazarus from the dead, but... Again, to verify what he declared, to prove what he proclaimed, Jesus proclaimed himself as the resurrection and the life and then backed that statement up by raising Lazarus from the dead after having been dead for four days. Now, 
I teach this in discipleship class, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but I just want to call to your attention this morning that God's revelation or revealing, unveiling of himself to man is progressive throughout Scripture. And that simply means we know more about it in John 11 than we knew about it in Genesis 15, for instance. In other words, as the Bible unfolds, we learn more and more about our Creator Father. We learn more and more about His nature, more and more about His character, more and more about His person and His personality. We learn about the triune God, that He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so, again, these details unfold along with the Bible unfolding. And one of the ways that we see God revealing himself to us is by introducing us at different, introducing himself to us at different points throughout the scripture by using different names. So for instance, when Moses asks God, you know, you're sending me to the most powerful human being on planet earth, a Pharaoh who was worshiped as a God by his people. God told Moses, you go march up in to his court and you tell him to let my people go. And of course, Moses was reluctant uh, to do that. And so he asked God, he says, who do I tell him sent me? And God says, you tell him I am that I am sent you. Amen. And of course, this again is God revealing something to us about himself when he introduced himself to us as I am or often referred to as the great I am. Now, this Jehovah God, this great I am, we see that, and I guess in our common day usage or, or language, we would perhaps put a hyphen. We see that Jehovah I am later introduced himself, for instance, as Jehovah Rapha. And that word Rapha is, um, is the word for healing. And so he introduced himself as Jehovah Rapha, as the God who healeth thee. I am the God who heals you. Amen. And then we see later he introduced himself as Jehovah. I am Jireh. Amen. And this simply means I am the God who provides. Amen. Then he introduced himself as Jehovah Shalom. He says, I am the God, your peace. I like this one. Jehovah Sidkenu. He says, I am the God, your righteousness. Amen. And so notice that as he introduces himself uh, you know, not all at once. He didn't, he didn't give these names for himself all at once. We see them unfold throughout the Old Testament. But with each unveiling, with each new name, we see something new about who God is, but we also see that there is a benefit um, for us associated with each one of these new names. Amen. Provider, healer, righteousness, peace. Um, what is Je Jehovah Shammah? I am the God who is present with you. I am, I am with you now. Amen. So again, in each one of these instances, not only are we learning something new about him, but we're also to connect this new understanding of who he is with who he is to us individually, that he is our peace. He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our righteousness. Now, 
we know that God does not change. We know that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if He was their righteousness in the Old Testament, it's not that He's less our righteousness now, but we see that that was actually prophetic because Jesus became our sin uh, so that we could become His righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5. We see that He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become His righteousness. So He is the Lord, our righteousness, it's not less than their righteousness in the Old Testament, but more than, more so to us than even to them. Amen. Am I right about it? We see, we see also that by the stripes that he took upon his back in the Old Testament, it says, by those stripes you are healed. Meaning any person that was divinely, miraculously healed physically in the Old Testament was healed on credit looking forward to the day when Jesus would take the punishment for sin and for sickness so that those folks can be healed. Let me ask you a simple question. Was anybody physically healed in the Old Testament? Absolutely they were. Was anybody forgiven uh, for sins in the Old Testament? Absolutely they were. Was anybody forgiven for sins by Jesus before he went to the cross? Absolutely they were. But all of those works of redemption, all of those works of healing, all of those works of forgiveness, they were all done on credit based upon what Jesus would do for us, for them, one day on the cross. The Bible says God in His forbearance passed over those things, looking ahead in time to when Jesus would pay the price. I went to spend the night with a friend in elementary school, and we, mom, his mom picked us up, and, and we went over here to the Highlander in, in Hueytown, and, and we were going to get some snacks for the weekend. And, and of course, it was after school. Everybody was hungry, and and, uh, you know, they were putting groceries in the buggy. And, and, and my friend's mother, she pulled uh, uh, one of the bags of uh, chips out. And she opened up the bag of chips. And everybody started, you know, the, the, his little brother and him, she, you know, they all started eating them chips. Man, I'm like, dude, we're fixing to get arrested. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what in the world? You know, I'd never seen anybody do something like this. And I, I was just like, these people are stealing. What have I got myself into? No cell phone to call my mama, right? You know, and um, you want some chips? Mark, and I'm like white around the mouth. I'm no, 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 I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry, you know. And um, so we finally get up there, and I'm like, what's fixing to happen, you know, when the clerk sees? And, and um, so they just put the empty bag on the belt, and she rang it up and passed it, you know, she, you want this? And Mama said no, and she threw the empty bag in the garbage and just kept ringing everything up. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, amen. But notice now, we ate the chips, or they ate the chips, right, and then paid for them later. Are you seeing this? All those people who were healed in the Old Testament, right? They ate the chips and Jesus paid for them when he checked out, right? All those people who were forgiven up to the cross, Jesus paid for all of that sin, right? It, it, they were forgiven, if you will, on credit based upon what Jesus would one day do. Let me ask you another question. Was Abraham not declared righteous before God? Yes, he was given credit for being righteous before God. Again, based upon what the gospel of Jesus was preached to Abraham so many generations ago, Abraham believed it, and the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness based upon a futuristic work. So if he was Jehovah Rapha to them in the Old Testament, and they were healed by God in the Old Testament, based upon what Jesus would one day do, by his stripes you are healed, 
Notice now, we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the whipping post. We live on the other side of Jesus being beaten almost to death with a Roman cat of nine tails, right? And what does it say in 1 Peter 2, 24? By His stripes you were healed. By His stripes you were healed. Amen. Sister Pam mentioned it a moment ago. The Bible says Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. He has already paid the price and redeemed you and me from sin that we have not committed, sin that still is ahead of us in our future. You say, Pastor Mark, how in the world could Jesus forgive me for a sin that I haven't committed yet? He forgave you on the cross. He paid the price for your sin on the cross. And at that point in time, every sin that I've ever committed or ever will commit was futuristic. Amen. So when we look at all of these names that God identified himself as, we see that he is not less than that to you and me. If anything, he is more than that. Because all of those things that he did for them in those days, right, was based upon this cross that Jesus would one day bear for us. Now, he has bore that cross for us. So this is why he's, he is our peace, and now the peace of God dwells in our hearts, the peace of God that passes all understanding. By his stripes you were healed, and he is the Lord our righteousness. He said when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of you, and when he comes to live inside of you, he will live in you forever. He's not just with you. He's not just for you. He's not just by you. But He now lives in you. Amen. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord present now inside of us. Now, there's an interesting portion. There's an interesting um, detail about Jesus' arrest, the night that Judas betrayed him and the night that the soldiers came to arrest him. We see that it was, you know, they didn't have street lamps and, and all these things like we have today. So the, the garden there was a, a very dark place. In other words, if, unless someone, you know, lit a torch or a candle, um, it, it was dark at night. And so, you know, they're trying to, you know, identify Jesus and of course, Jesus' heart is for all of his disciples. And he's like, look, you know, you, you came for me. Leave them alone. Let them go. And they ask him if he was Jesus. And when he said, I am. When he said, I am. The Bible records that every single one of those soldiers who came to arrest Jesus were knocked backwards on the ground. The Bible also records this interesting detail, that there was a young man there holding a grave clothes, and other than the grave cloth he held in his hands, he was naked. And you're like, well, what in the world? It's such, it's such a... An interesting detail, but we have no backstory. Where did he come from? Who was he? How did he get there? Why was he naked in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was he a streaker? What in the world? Well, Dr. Rick Renner finally answered that for me. And it simply, here's the answer. You don't have to believe it, but when you get to heaven, you'll find out Dr. Renner was right. It bears witness with my spirit. There were graves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he believes that when Jesus said, I am, that not only... Did the power that was released that knocked all of those men flat of their backs, 
you know, put them, put those soldiers down, that the power that was simply released when he said, I am, brought that young man back from the dead. He's standing there naked except for the grave cloth that would have been wrapped around him. Amen. See, I'm not sure I believe that, Pastor Mark. Well, according to the Bible, you are that if you're a born-again believer. Amen. So again, Jesus now in John the 11th chapter, you have to look closely for it, but he gives us another hyphenated revelation about who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when we look at our salvation, there are some very specific words that are used to communicate what Jesus has done for us. For instance, one of the first words that we see is this word propitiation. It is, it is a very big word, and it's probably a word that you don't use that often around your house. Amen? But this word propitiation, it speaks of the appeasement of wrath on account of sin. In other words, we had sinned, and because we had sinned, we had the judgment of God and the wrath of God uh, coming to us, placed upon us. But the Bible says that Jesus became our propitiation. He is, the Bible says, our propitiation. Meaning what? Meaning that he took the wrath of God that we deserved. There's another word for our salvation, and it's the word redemption. And this simply means the, the debt paid or a ransom paid to secure the release of a prisoner or a captive. And we see that Jesus became our redemption. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't just say that he provided propitiation. It doesn't just say that he provided redemption, but that he is, he himself is our propitiation. He himself is our redemption. And then there's a third word, and that's the word justification. That word means to be made right before God in the eyes of God. This word, this word justification or justified, it is the same root word that we find this word righteousness, this word justified. They both are derived from the same root in the original language. And I like to simply say it this way. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Creflo Dollar says God's grace extended to you is his effort to treat you like sin never happened. And justified means more than a forgiven sinner. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Because we've been given the same right standing with God the Father as Jesus, and Jesus' right standing is that of one who never sinned. When God the Father looks at one who's been born again, He doesn't look at you as a forgiven sinner, but He sees you and desires to treat you like someone who never committed a single sin at any point in your existence. Amen. But again, it's not just that Jesus gave you justification. It's that He is your justification. The Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who became for you wisdom from God. Who is your righteousness. Who is your justification. And who is your redemption. One translation of that verse says, it is from Father God that you have your life in Christ Jesus. Now, we've been talking this entire year here at Heritage about giving God the place that He deserves in our lives. 
about recognizing who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. The Bible says that He can only keep what you commit to Him. And the Lord spoke to me towards the turning of the year that His people are wanting Him to do things in their lives and families that that they have not given Him place to do. And I'll give you a simple example of this. You cannot receive salvation unless you acknowledge Him as your Savior. Unless you give Him place in your life as Savior, He can't save you, even though He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. What is, it, what is involved in a man or a woman being born again this morning? It's when they recognize that they are in need of a Savior and they give Jesus that place in their life. When they confess with their mouth that they believe in their hearts that He is the Son of God and that God the Father has raised Him from the dead, notice, by giving Him that place, He's now able to do in their life what needs to be done. He cannot do that for someone who will not give him that place. So let me ask you this morning, have you given him that place? Have you given him place as Savior? How about this, have you given him place as your Redeemer? Have you given him place as your righteousness? How about as your healer? How about as your peace? Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus, listen, if he had just figured out some way to, to get our sin off of us so we wouldn't go to a devil's hell, we would be eternally uh, in debt to him and, and eternally grateful to him. But Jesus didn't just stop with the forgiveness of your sin. He, as according to John the Baptist, didn't come to forgive sin, but he came to take it away, to remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, to never be held against you ever again. But aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just pay for our sin, but the same blood that paid for our sin paid for the healing of our physical bodies. He is the Lord my healer. Have you accepted Him as your healer this morning? Have you acknowledged Him? Have you given Him that place in your life? We see throughout Scripture that, that the forgiveness of sins and the healing of diseases are always linked together, right? He is the God who heals all your diseases and He is the God who forgives all your iniquities according to Psalm 103. And we could go on and on with that. How about your righteousness? Have, have you given Him that place in your life this morning? Or are you, like Romans 10 says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, being ignorant of the righteousness and the right standing that you've been given as a free gift? Do you continue to struggle trying to make yourself right before God in the eyes of God? Do you continue to struggle believing that your standing with God is based upon your performance, based upon what you've done for Him lately? Please hear me. Please hear me. Accept Him this morning as your Jehovah Sid Canoe. Accept Him this morning as the Lord who is your righteousness. Accept Him this morning and give Him that place in your life and realize that you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus and you stand in Father God's sight no less than Jesus himself this morning when he sees you. And how about this when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I hope this lands on your heart. I pray this lands on your heart the same way it landed on mine. Jesus is my resurrection. He is my resurrection and He is my life. I have given Him that place. I have received Him and acknowledged Him as such. Again, let me say it. Jesus is my resurrection. The Bible says He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the firstborn from the dead. First implying what? There's a second, there's a third, there's a fourth, there's a fifth, 
Amen. I don't know what number I was. Amen. I guarantee it's recorded in heaven. I guarantee you. I don't know. Perhaps I was the uh, 4,983,764,184th born from the dead. But every human being who has ever been born again was born from the dead after Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. He is my resurrection this morning. Let me say it again. Let me say it another way. I am alive this morning because of Him. I was raised from spiritual death because of Him. I was crucified with Him. I was buried with Him. I was raised up together with Him to newness of life. And now I am seated together with Him according to the Scriptures in heavenly places. He is my resurrection and He is my life. I have resurrection in Him this morning and I have life in Him this morning. Life eternal. Jesus said this is eternal life to have personal fellowship with God the Father. I have personal fellowship with God the Father this morning because Jesus is my resurrection and He is my life. Now, the reason it's so important for us to recognize this is because as long as Jesus is my redemption, I will always be redeemed. This is why the Bible speaks in Hebrews of not just an eternal redeemer, but but having given to those who have received that redemption, eternal redemption. Because Jesus is my righteousness, I am eternally right before God in the eyes of God. Let me say it another way. The only way I could ever be not righteous, the only way I could ever be um, not alive in Him or forgiven in Him is for Jesus to no longer exist. Are you seeing this? Because He is my life, my, I have eternal life. My life is in Him, and my life has now been hidden in Him. And because my life, I just felt some of you drop off the wagon. Jump back on real quick, please. Let me say it another way. Because it's based on what He's done for me, the only way it can be undone is for Jesus to somehow fail, for Jesus to somehow sin, for Jesus to somehow become less than what He is right now. And that's not happening. My righteousness is secured this morning. My redemption is secured this morning. My propitiation is secured this morning. My healing is secured this morning. The Bible doesn't just say that He died for your sins. And it doesn't just say that He was beaten for your sicknesses. But how about this from the prophet Isaiah? The chastisement for our peace was upon him. In other words, Jesus did not leave any facet of your existence off the table. He died for the redeeming and the renewing and the, and the, and the transformation of every aspect of your existence. Even the, 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 the mental, emotional, aspects of our lives. Jesus has redeemed that and has now become Jehovah Shalom to us. Amen? You know, we can talk about the who of Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Day. We can talk about the what. And clearly all of that's important. But many people's faith stops short of the why.
They know who, they know about Jesus, they know what Jesus did, but they never make the connection between what he did and why he did it. What you find in the why is, is how it has now impacted and changed and transformed you. He is my resurrection. He is my life. I'm going to finish right here. Let's go back to Lazarus. We see the resurrection of Lazarus after having been dead for four days. All of this, of course, is evidence that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. My question for you this morning, is he your resurrection and is he your life? But we also see, if you look closely, it wasn't just one miracle at Lazarus's tomb that day, but I offer to you that it was three. The first miracle we see is that Jesus called Lazarus's spirit back into his lifeless body. Your physical body is referred to in Scripture as a tent. Think of the real you as your spirit. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and all of that is like a hand in a glove with the glove being your physical body. Death is separation. So when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body, that's exactly what happened to Lazarus. He was sick. That sickness eventually ended his life. His physical body is now in a tomb, and it's decomposing in that tomb. The first miracle is Jesus called Lazarus' spirit back into his body. The second miracle is Jesus healed Lazarus of whatever it was that killed him initially. Remember, he was sick, and that sickness ended his life. He died a sick man. Jesus brought his spirit back into his body, but if he hadn't have healed him of what killed him, he would have just died again maybe in just a matter of minutes, if not seconds. And the third miracle is a miracle of restoration. Remember, his body had already began to decompose. Jesus brought restoration to his decomposing body. All of this pointing to why our resurrection and life went to the cross went to the grave, went to death, hell, and the grave, and was raised up on the third day for you and me. He did all of that so that we could have the dead spirit inside of us buried with him and a new spirit put inside of us. What killed us originally? It was sin. If Jesus had not dealt with our sin problem once and for all, he could have brought a new born-again spirit inside of us, but sin would have just killed that one in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. So he didn't just put a new spirit in us. He ended sin's reign of terror over us once and for all by being the eternal sacrifice for all sin for all time. Putting you and me now in a position before Father God where he no longer even keeps a record of our sin because any sin you commit has already been paid for so that your sin will never kill you again and it will never separate you from Father God. I'm talking about spiritual death. Now, now sin can kill you physically. 
And the third thing I offer to you this morning is that Jesus bled to death naked on a cross, went to the grave, was raised again on the third day so that you could have everything restored in your life that sin and the enemy stole from you. Your right standing with God, God's presence in your life, His peace in your heart, and your right standing before Him. All because I am the resurrection and the life, right? That's what Jesus said. Singers and musicians, if you would please come. We could literally talk for months. The Bible has much to say about the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps it goes without saying, but let me, let me just make it clear. It is the centerpiece of our faith. The Bible says, if Jesus be not raised from the dead, no one's saved, no one's forgiven. We're just as lost as we ever were. And trying to live by the teachings of Jesus would not be enough to save anybody. If Christ be not risen, we're just a, a bunch of fools wasting our time. That's what the Bible says. Everything's futile, everything's in vain, but thank God he's risen from the dead. I have lots of favorite scriptures. I have favorite scriptures for different events and things and what have you in my life. And the last one I'll read to you this morning is out of Romans chapter 6. It says this of Jesus in verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. What he did, he did one time for every person. But the life that he lives, he now lives unto God. Likewise, you also. Likewise, you also. He's wanting you to connect with this on a personal level. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you would, please bow your heads this morning. Amen. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was falsely accused and horrifically tortured and executed not for any wrong or sin that he committed, but as a, as, a, as a payment for your sin and for mine. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. He was raised back to life again on the third day. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father, but not before promising that he would one day return to gather all those who were his back to himself. This is the simple gospel message my friend in the Bible says that contained within it is the power of God unto salvation. I like to simplify things. And if I could simply say it this way, receiving salvation means you receiving for yourself everything Jesus has done for you as your substitute. Receiving for yourself what Jesus has done for you, giving him that place in your life as your Savior. Just curious on this Easter morning 2019, if you're here, you'd say, Pastor Mark, I've never received Jesus for myself. I've never accepted for myself what He's already done for me. But I'd like to do that this morning. Could I just simply see your hand? Anybody in the room? 
Anybody in the room? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to take that to mean everyone here has received for themselves, yourself, amen, receive for yourself what Jesus has done for you. Could we take a moment then and let's give him thanks? Could we take a moment and just pause in his presence to worship him? I'm going to open these altars up. They're, they're pretty much always open here at Heritage. We never close them down, amen. But if you would like for someone to pray with you, maybe we spoke some about healing, some about peace, you know, provision, our provider, our prosperity. If you're here this morning and you'd like someone to pray with you, agree with you, we're here to do that for you. Amen. Let's sing this together and then we'll be dismissed. Amen.